achievement relates to actually getting results related to specific goals. Happiness is the process of life itself. They're not the same thing. They are independent variables. A lot of people say, well, if I'm happy, I'll achieve more. Maybe, maybe not. If I have higher aspirations, I will be achieving more. Maybe, maybe not. A ridiculous, uh, big, hairy, audacious goals. I mean, no offense. That is such a ridiculous concept. Why? Every waitress in Hollywood said big, hairy, audacious goals. And they're all waiting on tables. Yeah, this is retroactive logic. It's called the survivor bias. Yeah, he set big goals. He's a success. Therefore, if I set big goals, I will be a success. Welcome to the Impact Multiplier CEO podcast. I'm Richard Metcalf, founder of X Quadrant, and my mission is to help the world's top CEOs and entrepreneurs shift from incremental to exponential progress and create a huge positive impact on our world. Now, that requires you to reinvent yourself and transform your business. So, if you're ready to play a bigger game than ever before, I invite you to join us and become an Impact Multiplier CEO. Today, I speak with legendary business thinker, Marshall Goldsmith. Marshall is the only two times winner of the Thinkers 50 Award for number one leadership thinker in the world. He's been ranked as the number one executive coach, top 10 business thinker for the past eight years, author or editor of 36 books, three New York Times bestsellers, 2.5 million copies sold, bestseller in 12 countries. This guy is the real deal. And in this conversation, we get into deep stuff. We get into what he's learned over his long and illustrious career about being fulfilled. We talk about why the traditional advice about big, hairy, audacious goals turns out to be rubbish. We look at whether achievement leads to happiness, and if not, what does. We look at the biggest mindset challenges that most CEOs face in his experience. And we talk about legacy. Marshall, somebody is at the phase in his life where he's really, really serious about legacy. And so I really encourage you to listen in, digest all this wisdom from the legendary Marshall Goldsmith. Hi, Marshall, and welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. Well, you know, I almost hesitated. I almost actually started this conversation with welcome Moses to the show, because for me, you're a bit like Moses. You know, you're the grandfather of executive coaching. You know, you've got to come down the mountain various times, I think 55 times or how many books you've written with various tablets. And you look a bit like Moses as well. So on how I imagine Moses. So um, I would have said Pythagoras, but I used that on David Allen. So I'm going to stick with Moses for you. I think I'm going to start to name all my heroes uh, with different little images. So Marshall, um, I'm really happy to speak to you today. Uh, you've influenced my own coaching practice. I know you're one of the world's, you're probably the world's most well-known executive coach. You've been doing it for years and years. Um, you coach some extraordinary uh, leaders. Uh, I'd love to start with something about happiness because many years, a few years ago, I reached out to you about wanting, asking you for a tip. I was writing a blog post. I was like, what's a tip you've got for leaders who want to improve their effectiveness? And you basically said, well, just check that you're actually happy. And I see this a lot with some of my clients. They're, they're driven, they're driving, they're making big things happen. And yet when you start to scratch the surface, ah, oh, the frustration, the anxiety, the, 
the fatigue, sometimes even bored with what they're doing at this point. I'm just curious, what's your experience been and, and, about happiness and, and how do you help people to reconnect to that? Boy, I think, you know, this is really important. Uh, I'm going to ramble on if you don't mind. But in my book, The Earned Life, I talk a lot about this one. And so if you look at what leads to a great life, what matters in life anyway? Well, yeah, it's not that much. One is you need to have like a middle class or below middle class level of income. So nobody listening to this call, money's not, they may think money's going to make them happier. It won't. I, I, I work with a lot of billionaires. I can tell you money, there's almost no correlation between happiness and money. Some of them are very happy. Some of them are miserable. Part of you do need to, at least enough to get by, and everybody's got that. Number two, you need to have a good relationship with people you love, and probably I'm not going to help them do that particularly. Number three, take care of your health. But assuming that you're healthy, you've got a good relationship with people you love, and you've got a middle-class income, what matters? Three things. One, you need a sense of higher aspiration in life. Why am I doing this? What's the purpose of all this? Uh, as you mentioned, why? Why am I doing it? You need some answer to that question. And that aspiration is beyond an individual achievement. One thing you mentioned when we talked earlier is that, you know, great leaders are not working for money as such. They're working because they find a sense of purpose and meaning in what they're doing. The second element for living a great life is your ambitions need to connect to this higher aspirations. So you're actually achieving something that is meaningful. And what you're achieving, though, is connected to something that's important, higher aspiration. And then number three, we're going to talk about, because that's the one you brought up now, you need to enjoy the process of life. You need to be happy. Now, people define happiness in different ways. I never get into a semantic debates, but I'm going to give you my definition of happiness. And that's, I love the process of what I'm doing as opposed to the outcomes. Happiness is the moment. I enjoy doing it now. I enjoy the process of this experience now. And all three of these are very important. Uh, the people listening to you right now or listening to us, one, some people fixate on the aspiration stage. They have high goals, aspirations. They don't really achieve anything, but they got lofty thoughts, and they may not enjoy life at all. Some human service leaders, for example, love humanity. They just hate humans. So, you know, they, they're kind of living in their head. Some people, most humans are lost in the, the state of day-to-day -day life. You know, they play the video game. They go through life. Our ancestors were poor people. They didn't have time to think about higher level aspirations. They were just getting by the day. And that's most of humans. That's not your listener. Most people listening to us right now have a different problem. They're addicted to achievement. They're addicted to achievement, and they fall into a classic Western trap. What is it? Once I achieve this, it's all going to be better. Once I get the money status, BMW condominium, million dollars, billion dollars, something. Once I get this, it's all going to be okay, and I'm going to be happy. A couple of problems with this. One is there is no there. Once I get there, there is no place called there. There's only one book that has the same ending, and they lived happily ever after. That book is unfortunately called a fairy tale. And it's not, that's not the real world. You're not going to get some place where you're eternally happy all the time. And then the other problem that occurs with this thinking is people forget a couple of things. One, they may forget why they're doing it. And then number two, they don't enjoy the process of life itself. They get lost. They literally forget to be happy. Now, in my, in my, in my book, Triggers, I interviewed three of the smartest people I ever met. Okay, Dr. Jim Kim, obviously I can use their name. Dr. Jim Kim has a simultaneous MD and PhD with honors from Harvard in anthropology in five years. Normal human to get a PhD in anthropology from Harvard takes eight years. He won in five years 
I got a medical degree at the same time. He went on to be president of Dartmouth and then head of the World Bank. Dr. John Noseworthy, head of the Mayo Clinic, number one hospital in the world, and Dr. Rashaw, head of the United States Agency for International Development at age 37. Brilliant people. All three ask a question individually. On the average day, how would you score and did I do my best to be happy? All three had the same answer. Never dawned on me to try to be happy. Never dawned on me. Wow. Yeah. Never dawned on me to try to be happy. Now, they're all medical doctors. I said, did it dawn on you? You're going to die? Did they cover that in medical school, that death thing? Yeah, they brought that one up. Death. Yeah. I said, do you think this is a silly question? He said, no. Very important question I forgot to ask. Now, I had a very similar experience two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, I coached a guy who's worth about $4 billion. So I said to him, why do you want to hire me as your coach anyway? Am I supposed to boost you up from $4 billion to $4.1 billion? You know, <laughs> who cares, right? He said, you're right. Who cares? It doesn't matter. I said, he said, he coached my friend, and he was happier. I want to be happier. I said, great. So I work with a guy for a year. He gets happier. Life is good. Two years later, I just called him two weeks ago. How's it going? I said, what happened? You know what he said? Forgot to be happy. Yeah, it's it's so interesting, isn't it? It's um, uh, what's going to my mind is um, you talked about empty achievement, right? So we're driving, we're driving, but we're not sure what we're doing. Sometimes people then focus on purpose. Why am I doing this? And what's what contribution do I want to make? I love that. You know, I'm all about that. I'm all about impact. That's the whole point of this podcast and, and what I do. The danger with having a purpose is that if you still do it on the same mindset as you are when you were being what I call the mercenary, just like just getting the money, is, is actually it becomes a millstone around your head because it's like another thing you've got to do. Uh, and almost the world is now on your shoulders because it's deeply important. And so you have to actually kind of hold it lightly. And that's why I say rather than playing to not to lose or playing to win, you get to play to play. So this is just worth doing. I'm going to do it. But I also know that if I'm coming from a creative fun place i realize when i have the most fun my clients get the most impact it's crazy right i think that happens for every leader you know it's interesting you're making a great point we all believe i'll be happier after i achieve fill in the blanks this doesn't work i'm a buddhist and buddha teaches the concept of the hungry ghost if that's the way you think you're always going to be eating you're never going to be full let me give you a couple of extreme examples one is my good client, Albert Burla. He wrote one of the uh, endorsements for my book. Albert was a CEO advisor. And a couple of years ago, I called, Albert, how's it going? Well, good. We came up with that vaccine. I said, Albert, I took that great job, CEO of the year. And a uh, uh, company made high profits, highest uh, profitability, very good, employee engagement, on and on. Albert, what a year, what a year. I said, what's your biggest problem, Albert? He said, I have a huge problem next year. If his value as a human is he has to do better than last year, he can write it off. It's never going to happen. Michael Phelps won 25 gold medals more than anyone in history. What do you think about doing after that? Killing himself. You're not going to find happiness out there. Happiness and achievement are independent variables. You're not going to achieve your way to happiness, and you're not going to enjoy yourself to achievement. Now, I went to UCLA and got a PhD. Last year, they had 165,000 applicants to UCLA. I taught at a school in India recently, had 10 times that many, the Indian Institute of Technology, the hardest school to get in by far in the world. 
So my friend is a billionaire. He wants me to teach her. I said, okay. I'm, I'm thinking, these are techie kids. They're going to listen, oh, man, talk about Buddhist nonsense, right? Well, the place is full. That surprised me. Then I said, well, they're going to sit there and use their cell phones. I started talking about life and happiness and meaning. What's it all about? Ten kids started crying while I was talking. They never had a life. You don't get into Indian Institute of Technology if you start trying when you're 18. No, no, no. By the way, you don't get into that school. Mommy and Daddy got into that school. So these kids' whole life has been achievement. And they were always given a dream. If you get into IIT, you made it. You get into IIT, you made it. Well, Macho, I'm, let me ask you about this. Yeah, because definitely there at IIT, that's what's happening. But do I would imagine, I think I've seen this, but I want to check your experience. Like what happens when you are the CEO of a billion dollar company? Oh yeah. Same thing. Same thing, right? Because they still don't feel safe or secure. I mean, what drives what is that drive achievement drive? <laughs> Look, it's okay to be the CEO of a big company and it's okay to make money. That's fine. The point is you can't place your value as a human being on that. Now, key point. A guy in our group is Safi Bacall. I said, now Safi's a brilliant scientist. I said, Safi, what'd you learn from us when you did all these groups? We were, with, I met with 600, we spent 600 hours over COVID, my friend Mark Thompson and I, with 60 amazing people. Their names are in the book, not a secret who they are. I said, Safi, what'd you learn? He said, I learned one thing. Happiness and achievement are independent variables. He used to think, I'll be happy if I achieve more. He said, no, I won't. Be happy, be happy, and achieve to achieve. I said, Safi, I'm glad you realized that. You already have a PhD in physics from Stanford. You've written a New York Times bestselling book. You've made millions of dollars. You started four companies successfully and consulted to presidents. If that is not enough achievement to make you happy, do you really think a little bit more is going to get it over the line? And so, and so within that, you said, what's the point of achievement from your perspective? Well, achievement relates to actually getting results related to specific goals. Happiness is the process of life itself. They're not the same thing. They are independent variables. A lot of people say, well, if I'm happy, I'll achieve more. Maybe, maybe not. If I have higher aspirations, I will be achieving more. Maybe, maybe not. A ridiculous, uh, big, hairy, audacious goals. I mean, no offense. That is such a ridiculous concept. Why? Every waitress in Hollywood said big, hairy, audacious goals. And they're all waiting on tables. Yeah, this is retroactive logic. It's called the survivor bias. Yeah, he set big goals. He's a success. Therefore, if I set big goals, I will be a success. No, maybe not. I live in Nashville. Every waitress here is a songwriter or singer. So, you know, let me give you one other story. Jack Welch almost died. Jack Welch, former CFGE, famous guy, almost died. My friend's his buddy. He said, Jack, what'd you learn about life when you almost died? You had triple bypass. That's only one thing. You know, he said, why am I drinking the damn cheap wine every night? <laughs> why am I drinking the cheap wine? I'm Jack Welch. I'm rich. What am I thinking? I almost died, right? You got this wine cellar filled with great wine. He's drinking cheap wine. And like, what am I doing here? <laughs> so, so the question that comes to my mind is, what are the sources of motivation then, right? Because a lot of people, they think, well, if achievement isn't how are you going to be happy? Then why, why do I need to achieve anything more? I've already got whatever. You know what? Achieve to achieve. I'm not saying achievement is bad. 
No, I, I know. I'm just wondering, for example, for you, much like what what drives you to achieve things that you need to up to? Look, look, achievement. I mean, I achieve a lot. On the other hand, achievement doesn't make you happy. Now, be happy to be happy. I'm going to give people a test every day. Ask one question. Did I do my best to be happy today? Just ask yourself that question. Did I do my best to be happy today? You wake up in the morning and say, you know what? Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Did I do my best to be happy today? And it's amazing that helps. The guy I just talked to, the billionaire, forgot to ask the question. I wake up. I forgot to try to be happy. Well, you know, be happy to be happy. Don't, don't. And, and by the way, you know the marshmallow test? Stanford University had this marshmallow. Take a kid, you give him one marshmallow, eat one, you get one, but you wait, oh, you get two. So the research says, oh, the kids that waited, big success. The kids that eat one, loser. What they didn't do is take the kid that ate two and say, kid, wait a minute. Wait, wait. A little bit more, three. A little bit more, four, five, ten, a hundred, a thousand. Where does the story end? An old man sitting in a room filled with uneaten marshmallows waiting to die. <laughs> Sometimes you have to eat the marshmallow. You eat the marshmallows. I love it. <laughs> eat the marshmallow. You, you, eat, you don't ever eat the marshmallow. Here's the problem with delayed gratification. If you live a life filled with delayed gratification, you know what you get a lot of? Delay. And you know what you don't get much of? Gratification. Almost every self-help book says the same thing. Delayed gratification is good. Sort of. Sort of. I hope you're enjoying this conversation. This is just a quick interlude to introduce you to two transformative programs that we run. The first is Rivendell, my exclusive group of top CEOs who are committed to transforming themselves, their businesses, and the world. It's an incredible peer group and a deep coaching experience that will push you to new heights, no matter how successful you've already been. The second is Impact Accelerator, a coaching program for executives who are ready to make a big leap forward in their own leadership. It's regularly described as life-changing and no other program provides such personal strategic clarity, a measurable shift in stakeholder perceptions and a world-class leadership development environment. Find out about both of these programs at xquadrant.com services. Now back to the conversation. They don't necessarily always have to be um, opposite, right? Like you can invest for the future and enjoy the process is really what we're saying. So Marshall, um, I want to switch gears a little bit because we've got listeners to this podcast, they're CEOs or entrepreneurs. Uh, you work with many, many of these over your career. I'm wondering just what, what's the, in your view, the biggest, biggest blind spot that most senior leaders have? Oh, for the people like Ego. Yeah, what, what happens is, you see, Peter Drucker taught me a great lesson. Our mission in life is to make a positive difference, not to prove we're smart, not to prove we're right. Everyone I coach has been proving how smart they are and right. There are thousands and thousands of times to get there. You went to, you went to Oxford. Oh, my God. I mean, you, you probably have severe mental deficiencies there. You, how many times you have to prove you were smart? Over and over and over again, hundreds of times. It's hard to stop. It's it's, it's hard to stop. So what I teach them is, look, at the bottom, it's all about being a great achiever. At the top, it's not being about a great achiever. It's being a great leader. It's not about you. It's about them. You had to quit proving how smart you are. Quit winning. Quit proving how right you are. 
and let other people be. I wrote a book about this. What got you here won't get you there. That's what the whole book is about. Simple as that, right? So how, how would you know, right? So if, if you're a leader, you think, well, hey, I'm pretty good. You know, I'm driving things. That's a bit too involved in my business. It's going well, you know, whatever. Like, how would you, like, how do you even start to detect what you're not seeing? Well, I give people what's called confidential 360-degree feedback. So I, you know, I tell them what everybody doesn't tell them. Yeah, and then I say, look, you have a choice. You want to change or not? Now, by the way, I'm often asked the question, how do I convince people to change or don't want to? And the answer is, I don't. You see, I, I, I learned one thing, and it's coach. I only work with people who care. In my coaching, the client I coach that improved the most, my friend Alan Mulally, was the client I spent the least amount of time coaching, and he was great to start with and improved the most. Now, Alan, you know his story, was the Boeing. He went to CO Ford. The stock goes from 101 to 1840, CEO of the year. And 97, 97% approval rating from every employee in a union company. Unheard of. An amazing guy. I talked to my friend Alan. I said, Alan, of all the people I coached, you improved the most. I spent the least amount of time coaching you. And you were great to start with. I said, Alan, I made a chart on one dimension called time spent with me. The other dimension called improvement. There was a negative correlation between spending time with me and improvement. I said, Alan, the way this chart looks, and you never met me, you'd been even better. I said, what should I learn about coaching from you? He taught me one lesson that changed my life. You know, he said, you have one job, Marshall, client selection. You work with great people who are dedicated and want to get better. This will always work. You work with the wrong people. You are wasting your time. I want to get home and get better. I learned one thing as a coach. It's not about me. Now, by the way, I got ranked number one coach in the world for years. Why? I, I, by the way, I'm no longer ranked number one coach. You know why? The award is named after me. So it would be a little tacky for me to give an award named after me to myself. So <laughs> I'm no longer number one. It's already been done before, actually. So. I'm no longer number one coach. I, in fact, in November in London, they have the Thinkers 50. I'm giving out the award to the number one coach. But it's not me because it's named after me. So anyway, I asked my friend Alan, you know, what do you do? He said, don't make it about you. Make it, Now, why did I get ranked number one coach? Nobody knows I'm a good coach. Why? I got great customers. Nobody's got better clients than me. You read my book, The Air in Life. Look at the first six pages, right? Anybody's going to look good coaching those people. <laughs> There's so anybody's going to look good coaching him. I, I'm coaching the all-star team here. You know, you want to be a great coach, coach your all-star team. Right? Okay, so, so let's imagine that. So how do you know? Uh, I know you've got a book on being coachable. It's coming out right now. But like, how do you know when you see somebody? Like, how are you going to detect? And how why they even know? Like, are they going to be a great client? How do you feel? Ah, new book. Becoming Coachable, brand new books coming out next week, I think. I don't know, sometime. Anyway, everyone I work with, they have to get confidential feedback. They have to pick important behavior to improve. They have to publicly talk about what they want to work on. They have to publicly apologize for their sins. They have to follow up on a regular basis. If they do that, they're going to get better. And if they don't want to do it, you know what? It's okay. What do I say? It's fine. I'm busy. <laughs> Just work with someone else. Do, do you find that for example, if a client CEO, say, would ring you up, do they ring you up and say, I think I need to win for myself? Do they ring up saying, hey, go work with somebody on my team because they're really, they suck? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's fine. You know what? I said, you don't want to get better? It's fine. Don't, but don't expect them to change if you're not going to. Yeah, lead by example here. Don't preach, preach, preach. You all get better. You want them to get better? Look in the mirror. Let them watch you get better. And by the way, you don't want to do it to 
you don't want to do it for yourself, don't dump it on them. Yeah, that was a question. Would you would you work with somebody one level down from say the CEO, from somebody who's not being coached? Well, it depends. Sometimes I, I coach you the CEO or the future CEO. The key though is if I'm coaching the future CEO, this whole thing has to be supported by the CEO and the board of directors. Because I don't want to work with people for a year and then, you know, I, they get better and it doesn't matter. So they, it has to be supported by the CEO and the board of directors. But everyone I coach is CEO the, or future CEO. Now, let's be fair. Uh, I get a few bonus cards that most coaches don't have. Let's say you're the future CEO and company wants me to coach you. I say, here is exactly what you're going to do if I work with you. What if you say, I don't want to do those things? You know what I'd say? It's okay. I'll just go back to the board and tell them and the CEO that, you know what? I just can't help you. I'm sorry. I just can't help you. You need a better coach there. It's okay. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> you're going to do that? <laughs> no. It's a one question IQ test. Do you want to do this son or not? If you do, it's great. If you don't, I don't care. It's not my career's time. It's yours. Well, here's the question. Is it seen by the board or, or by those people as remedial or capability building? Oh, it's, it's, look, if it's remedial, they're not going to be potential CEO or CEO of a multi-billion dollar company. I'm not, I'm not in the fix the, I'm not in the fix the loser business. I mean, they help the win. Yeah, that's what I'm imagining. But it, it's a common misconception, right? And in some parts of the world, the idea of having a coach is seen as a as a sign of. And that's changing. That is changing. Look, I've been last week. I was in Riyadh all week, Saudi Arabia. I gave confidential feedback all to the two ministers in, the, in Saudi Arabia. They wouldn't do that 30 years ago. The world's changing. By the way, it was weird in America 30 years ago too. Just the world's changing. It's becoming much more the norm than the exception. Why wouldn't you have a coach? Why not? You got an ego problem? Look, how many of the top 10 tennis players have coaches? 10? I'd hope one of them, yeah. <laughs> Why do they have coaches? They're the best in the world. They say, Why do I need a coach? I'm the best in the world. They've got multiple coaches. So it's just it's fascinating, isn't it? So talk about the um talk about so you talked about the ego as being the biggest barrier to being better. Where's that most likely to show up when you're a CEO? Well, look, we all tend to fall into something called the superstition trap. Here's how it works. I behave this way. I am successful. Therefore, I must be successful because I behave this way. Wrong. You behave this way, you are successful probably because you do many things right and in spite of doing some idiotic things. And I've never met anyone who's so lovely they had nothing on that in spite of list. And if they're a man, I say, if you think you've got nothing to improve, go talk to your wife, right? They, you you got some stuff you need to do better, I'm sure. And then number two, back to what got you here won't get you there. Yeah, you're good to hear. That doesn't mean that the world changes. That doesn't mean you're going to be good there. And so you need to constantly focus on getting better. And by the way, we never get there. Look, people ask me if I have a coach. I have someone call me on the phone every day to try to help me for 25 years. Why? My name is Marshall. I'm too cowardly and undisciplined to do any of this stuff by myself. I need help. And it's okay. Who are we kidding here? We all need help. It's okay. What is this macho garb? How about willpower? Willpower is grossly overrated. 
my clients now, I just started this. Now I have somebody call them up every day on the phone to remind them to do stuff. Every day. It's funny, isn't it? We think we, we, get, we get past that, but we can't. That's what you're saying. You can't, we can't get past this basic stuff. Well, let me just say, I can't speak to we, but I can certainly speak to me. I never got past it. Yeah, I never got past it. You know why? I need help. Uh, you know, now, you might think, well, aren't you going to grow up someday? Well, I'm 74, I haven't quite made it yet. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I remember in your book, um, uh, Triggers, right? That's, that's your big argument, that this your environment. I mean, as anyone knows, like if you're trying to lose weight and you're, your, beloved one, you know, your beloved one is buying cakes and chocolate and sticking them in right in front of you in the kitchen, it's not going to happen, right? It, it's all, yeah, setting yourself up for success and, and, and the people around you and, and the, the structure around you. Yeah. And yeah, so... So what you're saying is, for everyone, there's a question of, am I, do I actually want to get better? <laughs> Sounds like that's one question. Second is, do I believe it, I actually need to get better? Does it really matter? I think a lot of people say, you know what, well, I don't need, you know, I'm fine, I'm all fine. And that's okay. that's okay. You know what? I don't care. Because, see, I've learned a hard lesson in my role as a coach. Uh, my name is Marshall Goldsmith, not Jesus Christ. Well, you see, I'm, uh, people don't care or have bad attitudes. I'm not really in the savior business. I'm not here to save anybody. If somebody doesn't care, it's okay. They're all adults. They're all doing fine in life. Nobody's starving here, right? Yeah, nobody's starving. They're all doing fine. You want to change? Great. You don't want to change? It's fine. Don't. I don't care. So how do I convince people to do anything? I don't. I'm not in the convincing business. Yeah, which brings us back to that well radical responsibility right if you're a ceo no one's going to make you do it perhaps your board might insist but actually if it's about acceleration nobody might be making you do it the question becomes how serious are you about getting better at what you do yeah which is okay too i mean i don't care if people don't change don't don't want to change don't it's okay but marshall let me switch gears a little bit here um, you're obviously somebody who's highly accomplished. We, you know, we, we know that we don't have to go without saying, but what would it look like for you to multiply your impact over the coming years? Oh, I'm glad you asked that question. It almost sounds like I paid you to do that. Now, as I've grown old, a couple of things. My mission is to help people have just a little better life. Now, we mentioned you do much more macro level things than me, which is good. I'm just not an expert on what the strategy part of what you do. I just try to help people have a little, as I've grown older, my little vibration going down and down, impact up and up. Why quit worrying about what I'm not going to change? Let's imagine one person who listens to this Zoom call or whatever it is, has a little better life. Good. This good? Yeah, hey, I'm declaring victory here. I'm declaring victory. So as I've grown old, you know, I just want to help people have a little better life. Now, how can I magnify what I do? Back to your good question. Aha, my new project. Number one, I give everything away. All my materials online. I go to marshallgoldsmith.com. Go to YouTube. Put my name in the search engine. Everything I give away. All my material. Copy, share, download, duplicate, use in church, charity. Put your name on it. Translate it. It doesn't bother me. Change it. Modify it. I don't care. Now I'm working on my new project, MarshallBot. I spent the last five months training my own computer bot. And... MarshallBot, hopefully by December, is going to be ready to roll out. You can be able to ask MarshallBot any question in the world. 
see somebody who looks and sounds exactly like me, same green T-shirt, and Marshall Butt's going to try to help you for free in multiple languages, hundreds of thousands of times instantaneously. That's it. And, you know, most of my life is something called legacy. The 100 Coaches Program is legacy. I adopt all these people, give back, you know, and they give to others. Uh, what is the definition of legacy? Being there when you're not there. That's it. Being there when you're not there. Well, that's most of my, I'd say three quarters of my life is focused on legacy projects. And what was the trigger that pushed you into legacy thinking? What was the moment in your life when you went, now the game's legacy? Well, I went to a program called Design the Life You Love. Back to this woman said, who are my heroes? They were kind and generous people who were nice teachers. She said, you should be like them. I decided to give back everything to as many people as I could. I, that led to the 100 Coaches Program, where I just adopt people. Two of the people I've adopted, <laughs> very fortunate, are co-CEOs of an AI company. And so that led me to this whole crusade to you know, give away everything. And what, what am I saving it for? What am I saving it for? What is this intellectual property? What am I saving this for? You know, we're all going to die anyway. Let's do some good here. Yeah. Mm, beautiful. Well, perhaps that's a great place to, um, to wrap things up. I should have one more question, which is, I don't even know whether it's going to be applicable. Yeah, now I have one final thing to wrap up, but you ask me your question, then I'll say that. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I'll definitely ask. What I was going to ask was, um, I always ask two people, Questions, two questions. So I don't know where, where we're going to go on this with you. Uh, the first question is, what does it look like to multiply your impact? You've talked about that with Marshall Bott and the other things that you're doing to give away your work and, and, and create that legacy. The other question is about you. Like At this stage in your life, are you like done? Or is it places where you, where you want to grow and shift, change, and, and evolve in order to multiply your own personal impact even further. So like, are you like the finished product and like now that's it, you can just scale that through Marshall Pod? Might be the case. Or what are there other things where you think, you know what, this would be amazing if I can grow into this? I'm always coming up with ideas. So I'm always working on new books, new ideas. I'm working on a book with my friend Al Malali, Stakeholder-Centered Leadership. I'd like to write a book on Buddhist thinking and day-to-day -day life. You know, I'm always working on new stuff. So I might work. So now, you might say, why am I doing this? I'm old. But you know what I could be doing right now, but I'm not. I'm making such a sacrifice to be here. Do you know what I could be doing? I could be playing crappy golf with old men at the country club while eating chicken salad sandwiches and talking about gallbladder surgery. So given the, given the choices, I, I think I'd rather do what I'm doing. Well, that's great. So that's, that's the to-do list. My, my question was really, is there a to-be list that you still have? Yes. Yeah, and that's it. You know, so that's this is all stuff. I pretty much covered it all. That is that that's me. Beautiful. Thank you. So you wanted to leave one final comment, perhaps, or, or thought? Yes, my best advice for everybody. Are we ready? I want everybody to smile, smiling, take a deep breath, go hand. Oh, hand. Let go of all that old stuff. Now I want you to imagine that you're ninety-five years old and you're just getting ready to die. You're on that deathbed. It's all over. Here comes your last breath. But right before you take the last breath, you're given a beautiful gift. The ability to go back in time and talk to the person who's listening to me right now. The ability to help that person be a better leader, much more important. The ability to help that person have a better life. What advice would that wise old you who's looking at death 
Who knows what mattered and what didn't? What advice that wise old person had for the youth that's listening to me right now? Breathe. Whatever you're thinking now, do that. In terms of performance appraisal, that is the only one that's going to matter. That old person says you did the right thing. You did. That old person says you made a mistake. You did. You don't have to impress anybody else. Some friends of mine interviewed old folks who are dying got to ask this question. Personal, professional. On the personal side, three themes. Theme number one, three words. We've discussed it already. Be happy now. Not next week, not next month, not next year. The great Western disease. I'll be happy when. When I get the money, status, BMW, condominium, I will be happy when. Now, let's imagine one of your listeners is, say, 44 years old. Watching this show, you know, he's saying, hey, easy for you to say, old man, you're rich, got lots of money, fancy clients, write books. Easy for you to say, uh, Mr. Miss 44-year-old, uh, you got something I don't have, 30 years. 30 years. Don't get so wrapped up looking at what you don't have. You can't see what you do have. You got 30 years I don't have. You want a few books? Here, I'll give them to you. Give me 30 years. We got a deal. <laughs> so number one, don't get so busy chasing what you don't have. You can't appreciate what you do have. Number two, learning point for old people, friends and family. Don't get so busy climbing that corporate ladder of success and achievement. You forget the people who love you. When you're 95, they're the only ones going to be around. And then finally, you got a dream. Go for it. If you don't go for it when you're 44, you may not when you're 84. It doesn't have to be a big dream, little dream. Go to New Zealand, speak Spanish, play guitar. Other people think your dream is goofy. Who cares? It's not their dream, it's your dream. I had an embarrassing experience a few years ago. I said, go to New Zealand, speak Spanish. Guy raised his hand and said, we're in Spain, you idiot. We all speak Spanish. <laughs> Business advice is not different. Number one, life is short. Have fun. Number two, do whatever you can do to help people. The main reason to help people has nothing to do with money or status or getting ahead. The main reason to help people is much deeper. The 95-year-old will be proud of you because you did and disappointed if you don't. You don't think that's true? Interview any CEOs retired. I've interviewed very many. Ask them a question. What are you proud of? They never talk about how big their office was. Just talk about the people they helped. Find advice also the same. Go for it. World's changing. Do what you think is right. May not win. At least you tried. Old people, we seldom regret the risks we take and fail. We usually regret the risks we fail to take. And finally, as I mentioned, my mission in life on this call is very simple. Hopefully... Somebody listening to me on this little call has a little better life. So if any of you have a little better life based on this call, it's a good call. Thank you. Beautiful. And that is how you multiply your impact. Hey, Marshall, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Um, I'm not going to ask you where people can find you. You're immensely Googleable all over the place. I'll put them in the show notes. I'm sure it's marshallgoldsmith.com and uh, new book and everything. We'll make sure that's there. Uh, just remind us again what the book's called. Oh, the new book is called Being Coachable. Being Coachable. Yeah. So that's going to be on my. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I would also recommend the, I, I, I do not recommend most of my 55 books. The ones I'd recommend are What Got You Here Won't Get You There. That's a good one. Uh, Triggers is a good one. And also uh, another good one is called The Earned Life. Those three are, are they're all New York Times bestsellers. Those are all really good ones. Uh, many of my books are useful only if you're interested in going to sleep. But those. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've, I've read the ones you just mentioned, and, and they didn't put me to sleep. They, they, they were great, and they've been influential for me. So, Marshall, um, also known as Moses, thank you so much, and look forward to uh, continuing the conversation. Okay, thank you, bud. Well, that's a wrap. If you received value from this conversation, please do leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. We'd deeply appreciate it. And if you'd like to check out the show notes from this episode, head to xquadrant.com 
slash podcast, where you'll find all the details. Now, finally, when you're in top leadership, who supports and challenges you at a deep level to help you multiply your impact? Discover more about the different ways we can support you at xquadrant.com.